Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things what? Hoped for, right? The evidence of things not yet seen. So faith provides you the ability to have hope. And hope then, what does hope allow you to do? Hope lets you know that you have a future good coming. So you don't have to look out for the, the biggest person in your life when you're a sinner is who? Yourself. Hope frees you. God promises you things that will give you hope to love, hope to endure. And you have seven hopes you're being handed out right now that we've looked at. And I want you to see these seven hopes are what I have tried to put together and what I see when I counsel people. What helps them to endure? What helps them to do what's right when they're struggling with sin, when they're struggling with guilt, when they're struggling with a bad relationship, uh, when they're struggling with a, a physical issue of disease or weakness, what helps them endure? So these seven hopes you have in front of you now from last week, the hope of forgiveness, do you believe that Christ can forgive any sin? That's when someone's dealing with guilt, shame. The hope of transformation. Do you believe that Christ can progressively transform any sinful proclivity in you? If you don't have that hope, then you will not labor in that promise. Strength and provision. Do you believe that Christ can supply all you need to do his will regardless your temptation, your trial, or personal weakness? That's pretty important when you're dealing with great obstacles to the Christian life. Physical obstacles relational obstacles and then spiritual the hope of spiritual influence on the right do you believe that Christ can spiritually influence any person to change through your obedience do you believe that that your obedience God uses to draw others to Christ that's really important when you're in a tough relationship not just for two days not just for 30 days but maybe for 30 years enduring knowing that you are having an effect, a salvific effect. Even if it doesn't result in salvation, you are being faithful to being an influence. You're not just sitting there waiting on heaven. You're promoting things, and those who are watching you are being drawn as well, not just that individual you're having struggle with. How important is that hope? Very important when we're dealing with people struggling in relationships. And then the bottom three hopes are the eternal hopes, the hope of rewards the hope of heaven itself, and the hope of glory. I stop on glory because what is the hope of glory? Christ in what? In you. 1 John 3, 2. That when we see him, we will be like him, for we'll see him as he is. And so all these other hopes center around this great hope. And last week I told you to put at the very center there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it's verse 20. I could be wrong on that. Some of you have your notes from last week. What is at the center of this hope? All these hopes center around 2 Corinthians 1, 20. Yeah, which all the promises of God are yes in Him, in Christ. That doesn't mean that all the promises of God simply come from Christ, though they are. And we have a little rainfall coming here. All the promises of God, it doesn't say are from Christ, but are in Christ. That means if you have Christ, you have all the promises. 
So here's the question we asked last week. What, what do you want, though? Do you want this hope? Do you want to be forgiven? Do you want transformation? Because if, I, if God were promising you forgiveness and transformation, but you didn't want it, that would be like a salesman trying to sell you something you didn't want. Anyone here, men, do you want to buy uh, lipstick? But what if I promised you it would look really good on you? You wouldn't want it. See, hope requires that a person makes a person makes a promise. And you want what that person is promising. Not just, and that you believe that that person can do that, right? That that person will do that. So with God, do you want not only his hopes that he promises of forgiveness and transformation, but do you want God himself? Because at the center of all these hopes is the bullseye of Christ. Do you want to know Christ? That's how come when we try to give hope to someone who doesn't want that hope, it's very difficult. It's like water off a duck's back. So God has to make us hungry for that hope. Now this hope, let's look at this week's uh, lesson outline, hope of forgiveness. Feasting on the hope of forgiveness. We already looked at the importance of hope. And when we talk about the hope equation, remember there are really four main pieces, and that's that the person needs to promise it, right? And that you need to want it and believe that person can do it. And that results in hope. And hope is only hope, biblically, if you act on it. If it doesn't cause you to endure, it isn't hope. Hope conditions you to choose obedience. And so when we think about that, and, and when we think about hope and action, when we put together hope in the person and promises of God and action because we believe and desire what he's promised, you know what we get? We get joy. If you look at Romans chapter 15, our theme verse 13 says, Now may the God of all hope fill you with all what? Joy. How do you do that? In believing. Believing the promises of God and acting upon them. And then you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our hope equation. I ask you this week, what did you hope in for happiness this week? What was your hope? My hope was in the TV. My hope was in technology, right? Bringing me joy. You see how our hope leads us to the wrong joy or the right joys. Why a study like this is so critical for the Christian. What do you want? Forgiveness. Do you want forgiveness? Do you believe that Christ can forgive any sin? And our verse to memorize and be meditating on is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about that uh, passage. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're going to look at this passage and we're going to feast on the hope of forgiveness. But before we do, let's ask if we can get hungry for it by just asking the question, we do need cleansing daily, do we not? Do we not need forgiveness daily? And are we aware of this, right? Can you think of your recent sins that you need cleansing for? When is the last time you said, God, forgive me for, right? 
And let's take that a step further. When is the last time you said to someone that you sinned against, forgive me for, right? This verse says that if we confess our sins, there's hope of forgiveness. The condition is to, for, is to confess our sins. So sins that can be committed daily, unedifying words, right? Unwholesome words. And even thoughts of the mind, uh, wrong thoughts about each other, criticizing, judging, complaining, right? Uh, lust, greed, covetousness, impatience, impatience yeah. Mm-hmm. Lack of mercy, lack of discipline, laziness, right? Anger, lack of self-control. All these things, be perfect as your father is perfect, what would you grade yourself on? You know, and it really depends on the your view of how holy God is, isn't it? And so, as we think about that, when you started the Christian life off, you were very uh, before the Christian life. You were unaware of the standard, not just behavior, but thoughts and desires. And as a result, you lived in those desires with a feeling of shame, but not heightened awareness of the wrath. And then you became more aware. And you may have been scoring an F in holiness before Christianity. And when you started and the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to the reality of sin and the reality of righteousness and the reality of judgment to come, then you began to feel an awareness of that guilt that caused you then to hunger for forgiveness from God. Can we ever walk away from that hunger for forgiveness? And you see in our Christian life when we stop needing forgiveness, then we're minimizing sin, aren't we? And we're not going to experience the growth that comes as promised here. All Christian hope is based on God being faithful to his promise. Do you see in that passage it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to all his promises, the Bible says. Faithful, uh, maybe a word, good word for uh, faithful is unchangeable. That's a specific attribute of God that we could connect uh, faithfulness to. He's unchangeable in all he does. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Psalm 102, verse 25 talks about how God existed before the heavens and the earth and he'll be here before and after and God causes the universe to change but he doesn't change he is the same for I the Lord do not change Malachi 3 6 says has anyone ever made a promise that they weren't faithful to you in right have you ever made a promise that you weren't faithful to right God has never made a promise that he's not faithful to. So when we look at these hopes and hear today, forgiveness, he has promised that if we will confess our sin, he is faithful, faithful to all his promises. So let us bank our hope on forgiveness, on the faithfulness of God to the promise that he's made and all these other hopes as well. Let's look at God's forgiveness. There's 10 things to bring out, and I hope that you'll meditate on these this coming week. God's forgiveness The God who promises forgiveness is faithful to these things. It's a judicial forgiveness. What do we mean by that? 
Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so I have, listen to the words, removed your transgressions from you. Transgressions, it's a sin against God that deserves death. The wages of sin is death. It is a judge of the universe. It is the judge of the universe that is saying, I will forgive you your sin. It's not just me or you forgiving each other. I mean, you and I can forgive each other, but what right do we have to exact a penalty from each other, really? God, though, who is righteous and done no wrong, owns everything, deserves everything. He, as a judge of the universe, removes the guilt of your sin. The wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life. God justifies the sinner. It's judicial. It's a statement. It's a declaration. Your guilt is removed from you. Now I want to ask you a question as we go to the second one. If a good judge uh, looked at a criminal who came to the courtroom and he had murdered someone, and that judge looked at the murderer and said... I, by right of my authority, presiding judge of this courtroom, find you not guilty of what you did. we scratch our head, wouldn't it? It is not what God does. He looks at us who have committed murder how many times, according to the scripture, by hating our brother in our heart. He says, guilty of murder, but I remove the penalty. That's judicial forgiveness. But that should make us say, that seems like treason. That seems like unjust, right? If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. God's forgiveness is not just judicial in the removal of the penalty of sin. But it is costly. And in Romans chapter 3, we find a verse that, though it's a little complicated, but you know Paul can be complicated as he writes through deep theology. But this has been stated by several people as the most important verses in the Bible. People that study the scripture well. I'm I'm amazed at this passage. When we look at, starting at verse 2, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, in other words, have committed punishable, eternal, eternally punishable sin. But they're justified, there's the judicial forgiveness, as a gift. Oh, that sounds terrible. How dare a holy God do that? How can he be holy and do that? By his grace. Through, and now here is the costly part of this forgiveness. It's through the redemption of, which is yours in Jesus Christ, the buying back, whom God, oh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, whom God, that's displayed publicly as a propitiation, a sacrifice of atonement or a substitute for us. It's very important as we think of the forgiveness of God, that it's not just as if you and I are overlooking another sin because we're sinners and we can do that, It's a holy God saying someone will pay for this. And here we read who is paying for it. He displayed Jesus, verse 25, as a sacrifice 
a substitute sacrifice through the blood of Christ, through faith. And this was so that God could demonstrate as the holy judge of the universe his what? His righteousness. Now, let's think about our verse for a minute. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is not only faithful, but He is what? It, he's just. He's righteous in forgiving us our sin. He doesn't just say, you're guilty of sin, and I'll just forget there's a payment necessary. He moves to His Son, and it cost Him the life of His Son to pay for our sin. Feasting on the hope of God's forgiveness helps us recognize how costly, how amazing is His love. And look what it says. He demonstrates, verse 26, this demonstration, I'm sorry, verse 24, God displayed this was demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, forbearance is different than forgiveness, guys. Forbearance is overlooking sin. And forgiveness is actually removing the debt. Remembering it no more. You get, we overlook each other's sin. And when a person confesses sin, then we can forgive it more easily than just overlooking it. God overlooked sin. He did not just overlook sin, but He passed over the sins previously committed in verse 26 for this demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time. This is so that God might be two things, just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So it was a costly forgiveness. It was a costly payment. It wasn't just judicial like a, a judge overlooking sin. It was a judge paying for the sin. That's the, the hope here in 1 Peter chapter 1.18. I'll just read it for you. It's your verse to meditate on with this costly. It says, You were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. Well, though it costs God greatly to pay for our sin, it uh, is free and undeserved to those who humble themselves under the indictment, under the reality, I am the murderer. So if someone came into the courtroom and did not say, I am a murderer, then this God does not remove their guilt. And if someone comes in the courtroom and says, I'm a murderer, but I believe that your son paid the price for my sin, his guilt is not removed. But it is a free, undeserved gift. Psalm 51.1, what does David say about sin? He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. So here David doesn't say, be gracious to me according to all the good things that I am doing now. Be gracious to me because I have done a hundred good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds. No, David's not appealing to his self-righteousness. He's appealing to God's graciousness, his loving kindness. So God forgives, and it's free and undeserved. And this is what makes it difficult for people to have the hope of forgiveness because many people don't want undeserved grace. They want to be worthy of that grace. And that's where we spawn off a whole lot of garbage Christian songs about how our worthiness makes God forgive us. And that's not right. It has gone the basis of God's grace. And that offends us in our pride. We sin. Every time, we, every time we're proud, we sin. And 
we continue to sin by rejecting the only way to salvation and forgiveness, which is to admit it's undeserved, right? It's undeserved. Look at the, the, the uh, next one, complete. It's a complete forgiveness. Our passage says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. It's, it's complete. Can God forgive all sin? Is there any sin too great to be forgiven? Uh, you and I struggle with that, do you not? Do you struggle to forgive everyone's sin? Yeah. How many areas of bitterness do we have at times in our life where we're, our, the sin of another is coming up in our mind, but God has said, I can forgive all sin. I can pay for all sin. I can do this by my grace. And 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16, did Paul need forgiveness? Did Paul commit some bad sins? Listen to what Paul says. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the what? The chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, some things that Paul had done, right? Murder. Murder of Christ people. Murder of those people that God had chosen for himself. And it go, Paul goes on to say why. Verse 16 of 1 Timothy. But God had mercy on me. This is New Living Translation so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will come to realize they can believe in him and receive eternal life. So we see that it's a complete forgiveness. It doesn't exclude certain sins that are too bad. I want you to think of some of your worst, for a moment, some of your worst thoughts, some of your worst sins. If I were to show up on the screen those this morning, how would you feel? Would we have revival maybe break out, right? We'd start realizing, okay, I guess I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Is that what they say? Right? God sees all that, right? And he is covering all that still. He's forgiving all that. And he calls upon us an awareness of sin to confess it. And all unrighteousness will be dealt with. You don't need to hide it. It's complete. It's eternal. And it's eternal. Hebrews 10.14 says that for by one sacrifice... He has perfected for all time. By one sacrifice, he has perfected for all time. God at the cross not only had all people's sin in mind, but all people's sin throughout all time on earth. This is an amazing thing about God's forgiveness. Let's all here anticipate sins that will be committed to us in the next 20 years. You ready? Wouldn't that be enjoyable? God all-knowing knows all sin that will be committed to him and he has his son die to cover all sin. God is amazing, isn't he, in his forgiveness? Six, it's an immediate forgiveness. I want you to think of immediate forgiveness on the other side here. It's immediate. The scripture here, 1, Peter, 1 John 1, 9, our passage that we've been looking at, says he will forgive us. Uh, it's in the present tense. It's not, well, I'll wait till my anger subsides and once my mood changes... Mm, then I'll let you into my courtroom. Then I'll let you sleep in the bed, right? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? We, 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 we remove ourselves from people when we don't forgive them. And God says it'll be an immediate. And that's why the thief on the cross, for whatever he did, we don't know all that he did. He stole. But he looked at Jesus, and what did he say there? He looked at the one that was hurling abuse. He says, indeed, we are suffering justly. There's that word justly, right? 
We're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. What a high view of Jesus. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you this day, right, you'll be with me in paradise. It's an immediate forgiveness. It's present tense. It's right now. If you confess your sin, and the thief indeed did, did he not? Justly. I justly am serving sentence here. It's enthusiastic. Psalm 103.8 says that the Lord is compassionate, merciful, patient, very good qualities. And listen to this. He's ready to forgive. Psalm 103.8. Ready to forgive. He is anticipating and desiring to forgive. And the Bible says that when one sinner turns to the Lord, what happens in heaven? There's much rejoicing. And in Luke 17, if you write that down, you also hear about the prodigal son. And in the prodigal son, we know the story. Prodigal son says, I have sinned against heaven and against you, right? He said, that's what I'm going to go tell my father. So the criminal is going to appear before the courtroom and say, I have sinned. I admit that I murdered. I admit that I've done wrong. And the response here that Jesus wants us to have of the father is that it's an enthusiastic response to this confession of the sinner. It's not a reluctant forgiveness. You struggle with reluctant forgiveness sometimes? It's an enthusiastic forgiveness because we saw in the Father that by while the Son was a far way off, Luke 17, 20, His Father saw Him and was filled with compassion for Him. That's what motivated Him, right? And He ran to His Son, threw His arms around Him, and kissed Him. Could Jesus be any more explicit to say, Your Father is excited about your confession of sin and His ability to forgive you. He wants to do it. He's ready to do it. Right? It's enthusiastic. It's purifying. Number eight. It's a purifying forgiveness. Do you notice in the passage it says, 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, it connects, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pulpit commentary on this says that the one refers to freeing us from the penalty of sin. Catch this. That's justification. While the other, to freeing us from its contamination. It cleanses us. In other words, one deals with the penalty of sin and the other deals with what is causing the sin. He doesn't just promise in this verse to forgive us, but to help us get a new heart, a change, a cleansing from within so that we may not sin again. And Titus 2.14, I think, sums it well. It says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people for his very own eager to do what is good. Let's apply this for a second. Let's say that a husband is struggling with pornography. Okay? If he will confess his sin not only to God, but to those who he has sinned against in that sin and to those who will help him with that sin. If he confesses his sin, God then acts upon that confession in grace and says two things. I will forgive you and I will cleanse you. So do you think that maybe people get stuck in sin and stay in sin because they don't confess? Instead, they hide. 
And in hiding, it's much like a part of our body not telling the rest of the body, I have a disease, will you help me? Will you be gracious? God promises in this passage to not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's a purifying forgiveness as well as a judicial. It's a reconciliatory forgiveness. In other words, God reconciles us. It's not just that you get forgiveness, but you get what? Fellowship with God. It's a father relationship with him. This is the hope that God offers us. And 2 Corinthians talks about how we have received reconciliation. Lastly, number 10, it's conditional. Promises are often conditional, right? But you know what pays the price of the condition is faith. If I believe and desire what God is offering, it will motivate me to do this very thing. What is, what is the condition of forgiveness? Well, Proverbs 28.13 helps explain this passage if we confess our sin because there it says that if we confess and forsake our sin, we will find mercy. Confess, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will find compassion. There's the promise of confession uh, confession is very similar to repentance. Confession means to say the same thing. Repentance means to change the mind. Both those things, looking at God, looking at sin, as God opens your eyes through the Holy Spirit, you then can say, I repent, I turn from sin. If I were to draw a little diagram, it would be you're turning from sin. Now, is that a perfection? No, it's a new direction. Okay? It's not that we will not sin, as our passage says earlier in 1 John 8, that if we say we're without sin, we make him to be a liar. Truth is not in us. But we will have a turning, an or, a reorienting of our life away from sin and towards God. That is the condition of forgiveness, if we confess our sin. But if we confess our sin without faith in the payment, what good will it be? And that's why... Mark 1.15, Jesus came preaching and said, Repent and believe the gospel. So two responses to this hope, if you hear it well today, is to turn from your sin, not to self-righteousness, but to Christ-righteousness, to believing in the gospel, to believing in Christ, the hope of forgiveness. Now, as we conclude this, what you want most here will determine what you do with this offer of hope. And we're not just talking about the initial forgiveness, but the continual forgiveness. John MacArthur has said this passage, if we confess, is in the present tense continually. Christians are a confessing people because Christians know their sin and grow in an awareness of their sin and grow in, uh, therefore, a confession of their sin and then grow in the cleansing of their sin and the forgiveness of their sin. So do you want this? I, you, if you're honest, you know many times you want things different than just cleansing of sin and forgiveness. You don't want those things. You'd just rather have new environment, new circumstances. And God says, how about I give you forgiveness and cleansing? So what will result if you want this? Confession, repentance, or the substitutes? Confession and repentance if you want. Otherwise, you will do the substitute. Blame shifting like Adam did in the garden, right? And Eve, it was the devil. And Adam, it was your, the wife. Blame shifting. Hiding sin instead of confessing it. 
If this hope is not in you, you will hide sin. Worldly sorrow, much like Judas, who was sorry that he did wrong and could do nothing but look in the mirror of his guilt instead of the forgiveness, hope of forgiveness that was in Christ, right? So there is this worldly sorrow, fruitless repentance, unlike Zacchaeus. See, we could have a repentance that doesn't lead to the fruit of a plan of change. Zacchaeus, you remember when he saw Jesus, he said, I'm going to go pay back four times as much. He didn't just confess his sin. It led to the repentance of sin. He wasn't just sorry that, rep- he wasn't sorry that repentance brought poverty to him that day. He was, he was glad that salvation over joy, he went and sold his possessions and paid back four times as much. The hope of forgiveness leads to that type of fruitful repentance. Now, so confession, repentance, and the last one is forgiveness of others or bitterness. See, if you want this hope of forgiveness, it will lead to you experiencing that hope of forgiveness, which will only allow you, which will then alone allow you to forgive others. Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. For I tell you, if you do not forgive men their sins on earth, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Do you see how important this hope of forgiveness is? If we don't have this hope of forgiveness and we haven't tasted that ourselves, we will not be able to forgive men their sins. And Jesus gives a promise there that if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. You're like, Tim, I thought this was one on hope. Now I'm feeling convicted. But the hope should move you to doing this, this, this. Luke 7.47 is a good illustration of this. The woman who washed her hair, washed Jesus' feet with her hair, knew her sins were great. And Jesus said she loved much, right? Because she was forgiven much. Her radical expressions of love to Jesus were stemming from this experience of forgiveness that she had received from Jesus. That's why feasting on the hope of forgiveness leads us to forgiving others their sins. So two results. If you have this hope in you, go test yourself today. Go confess your sin. Don't hide. Don't blame shift. Don't have no plan of change. Go experience big stuff. And go forgive others their sins against you. And I pray that you'll use the practical biblical meditation sheet that we have on the back to help you work through some of these verses on forgiveness that we've looked at today. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for your promise of forgiveness and the hope that we have in forgiveness. And that is, it is a forgiveness that comes as you respond to our faith and desire for it. And our faith and desire is a result of you convicting us of our sin, of righteousness and judgment. So there's bad news before good news. And Father, we know that the rest of our life as Christians, we are going to need forgiveness and cleansing. They're a package deal. And Father, to get that, let us hear the promise and and apply it. If we confess, if we confess instead of hide, if we confess instead of blame everything else around us, if we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive us 
our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to feast on this hope and result in our forgiving of others. In Jesus' name, amen.